All right. So today we're continuing our sermon series in Ecclesiastes. We're exploring some of the most frustrating aspects of life. Uh, the tagline is the frustration of life. And we talked about the frustration of pursuing knowledge or wisdom. And then we talked about um, the frustration of uh, what was the next topic? Can someone help me out? Pastor Phil. Oh, that's right. Yes. And then and then we talked about um, work. And then today we're talking about money. I feel a little bit hypocritical talking about this because I don't think I think of money in a healthy way a lot of times. Um, I'm often frustrated with money. This is the story of my life. And in particular, sometimes I wish I had more money. You know, when I was growing up, I don't think I thought about money a whole lot. I grew up pretty well off. And, uh, you know, my parents, they had sort of the classic rags to riches story, immigrant story. And it was really only... And, yeah, it was really only after I got married and after I started having kids that I started to think about money a lot because it became very obvious that my life was going in a very different trajectory than some of my high school friends and college friends. You know, I grew up in the Silicon Valley, so I have a lot of people in the tech world, a lot of friends in the tech world. And then I went to a pretty good college. And so I have a lot of friends there who make a lot of money as well. And, you know, recently I was talking to, well, maybe a few months ago, I was talking to a high school friend who works for Meta, formerly Facebook. And uh, he was just telling me about how he got promoted and he told me how much he was making. And I was like, I was just, I couldn't believe my ears, what, how much he was making. And then he was also telling me about this house he and his wife were buying. And I also couldn't like your house is how much I just couldn't believe it. And I just found myself in that moment, just questioning myself, did I make the right career choice? <laughs> and um, is this where I am supposed to be financially? You know, when I think about, who I, and I, and I, and I this, this, you know, he was my best friend in high school, and we were pretty similar in high school. We both, you know, played guitar on the worship team, and we both played basketball, and we had similar SAT scores. And and then just to think, like that's where we were back then, and then now we are. It seems like we're worlds apart. And I remember just, you know, like it seems like they go on more vacations than we do. It seems like his kids have nicer clothes, and we do. It seems like his house is nicer than ours, and. And it just made me wonder, like, for a moment, is this where I'm supposed to be? And did I do something wrong? And uh, I don't know if you've ever thought like that before, where um, you just wonder, you know, you just sort of just look back on your whole life and you go like, if I just made this decision here, made this decision here, made this decision, here, maybe my life would have been totally different. Um, well, if you ever wonder, and especially in regards to money, you know, I think sometimes uh, we wonder, like, I remember when I was a kid, I had a, you know, one of my life goals was to be a millionaire. And then like, and I know so many people who have million dollar houses now in the, in the Bay area and we're nowhere close. And um, yeah. And I just wondered like, is this, is this God's lot for me? Um, and so if you ever thought stuff like that, then Ecclesiastes is for you. Uh, it puts sort of everything, including money in proper perspective. And so what we're going to do uh, is we're going to explore what Ecclesiastes has to say about money, some of uh, the frustrations with money, and then we'll talk about a few healthy principles regarding money. So we're going to jump around a little bit. We're just going to spend most of our time in Ecclesiastes 5, but we're going to jump around a little bit. Let's start with Ecclesiastes 5, 8 through 9. Let's check this out. If you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. And so this sounds a little bit depressing. What the author is basically saying is, do you ever notice that some people are impoverished and marginalized? That's 
that's life. That's just what happens. Life is unjust. Wealth flows to the top. That's essentially what he's saying. And the way most societies work is that the poor often stay poor, or it's hard for them to break out of poverty. And if those who are those who are rich, they have systems by which they become more rich. It seems like the more wealth you have, then the more opportunities you have to gain more wealth. You know, if you're the king, you just profit from all of these fields. You know, I remember talking to a friend several years ago, this guy, he was born and raised in Baltimore, not super well off, and he didn't have a college degree. He worked minimum wage jobs most of his life. And even as an adult, he was he was older than me, but he was working paycheck to paycheck. And, um, you know, I used to meet with him semi-regularly. And uh, I remember sharing with him about, we were talking about the stock market and he didn't, he didn't really have a concept of the stock market. He knew that, you know, went up and down and there were crashes, but he just didn't know much about it. And I was explaining to him and it, it just it sort of clicked when he realized what the stock market was about. And he's like, so you're saying there are these people out there and they have leftover money that they don't know what to do with. So they put it in this thing and then they get more money. And I was like, yeah, basically, and it just, he just could not, he just couldn't believe, like, he's like, how is that fair to the rest of us who don't have that leftover money? You know, but that's just the way life works. You know, if you have money that you don't need, you can use it to get even more money. You know, just recently, my wife and I, uh, we applied for this Southwest card because we saw there was this deal, a Southwest credit card, where if you spend $4,000 in three months, you get a companion pass for the rest of 2024 and 2025. And the companion pass, if you don't know, is every time you fly Southwest, someone gets to fly with you for free. And you can do that indefinitely throughout 2024. Anyways, I don't know if the deal's still going on, just so you know. But that's the way life works, is that if you have the means, if you are wealthy, then there are more opportunities for you to accumulate wealth. And I think for someone who is not wealthy, that can be frustrating. That, but that's the way money works. All right, well, that's, that's just one aspect about money. Let's keep going. Verse 10, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much, but as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. So earlier we talked about how the way life works is it sucks to be poor. It's really hard to get a leg up on society. But here, the opposite point is taken, which is that it also sucks sometimes to be rich. Um, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Or in the words of the great theologian, the, the, the notorious B.I.G., more money, more problems. Okay. Anyways, those who have a lot of wealth are never satisfied. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. In other words, the more money you have, the more things you will feel like you need to have. The faster your consumption rate goes, the more money you have. If you make, let's say, $30,000 a year, then you will think, oh, I don't have enough. I need $40,000 a year. And if you make $300,000 a year, you think the same thing. Oh, I don't have enough. I need $400,000 a year and so on. And there's been numerous studies about this, and I think this is really fascinating, about how a lot of people who are objectively rich, they don't think they're rich. For example, there's a 2015 Pew Research study that surveyed a bunch of people uh, and basically asked, which economic class do you think you fall into? And the options were upper class, upper middle class, middle class, lower middle class, lower class, five categories. And only 1% selected upper class. Only 1% selected upper class. 
the large, I mean, many people, they believe they were middle class and some people believe they were upper middle class, even though they were in actuality upper class. And, uh, and why is that? I think it's because many people who objectively are upper class, they don't think they are, they are constantly comparing themselves to people who are just above them. And so their reality is warped. They see people who are richer than they are. And so they think themselves that they haven't made it. They're not rich. And not only that, but here's another downside of being rich. This author is pointing out rich people often don't get sleep. They're working all the time to maintain their wealth. And it's sad because they don't even recognize their wealth. They don't even see that they're wealthy, but yet they keep up this workaholic lifestyle to try to maintain this wealth. As for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. So it sucks to be poor. But And so it might think, oh, then the solution is we should try to be rich. But the author's pointing out, but it also sucks to be rich. Okay, and then the author moves on to another aspect of money. Here's another thing about money. Money is unpredictable. Money is unpredictable. Let's read from verse 13, same chapter. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. So the author of Ecclesiastes is saying, you know, you're working so hard, you inherit all this wealth, and then some misfortune can happen and you can lose it all. You can lose it all in a day, in an instant. You know, several months ago, my mom was telling me about uh, this friend of hers. She was about her age. She was she was like about to retire. And this friend of hers, she basically, she came across, uh, she was a, a victim of this huge scam. Someone, you know, I don't know how she got in touch with this guy, but someone got in touch with her and said, you know, he was this investment person and uh, this hedge fund manager, or I don't know what kind of manager, but the, some some investment person and showed her, you know, all his his, his long uh, resume and his his you know his portfolio and whatever and he did really well supposedly, and then she trusted him with a little bit of money, and then he uh, gave very elaborate reports, seemed very official, saying, "Oh, your money is growing. Here, let me show you how how much your money is growing." And then she continued to put more and more until the majority of her life savings were invested into this guy, and then one day he disappeared, and just left with the money. And it's just so sad, you know, but it, 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 and it's an extreme example, but that sort of thing happens sometimes in society that you can spend a lifetime accumulating wealth and then some misfortune, some disaster can happen and you can just lose it all. You know, we're, our lives are subject to all sorts of things that can, that can be outside of our control. You know, we don't know if the stock market will go up or down and we don't know if inflation will spin out of control. We don't know the what, you know, if the bank where, where our money is sitting in can go bankrupt and we can be a victim of a crime. All these things can happen and money can be unpredictable. We can lose it in an instant. Here's another thing about money that the author points out. Money is non-transferable. Money is non-transferable. And what I mean by that is we use it as a, you know, as, as a currency here on earth. But after this life is done, we can't transfer it to the next life. It's only useful for this life. Here's verse 15. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb. And as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This too is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain since they toil for the wind? All the days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. All right, so it's just talking about, you know, this is just the way human 
humanity, our, you know, our lives work. We, the way we come in is we come in with nothing. And the way we leave is we exit with nothing. So all the things we make while we're here in this life, we have to leave it behind. Um, you know, a few months ago, uh, a few of us at church, we went to Chuck E. Cheese's. And so I was at Chuck E. Cheese's. And uh, the way Chuck E. Cheese's works, I haven't, that was my first time in 20 years. All right. Yeah, I went with our three-year-old. And the way Chuck E. Cheese's work is that they have their own currency system. You go to Chuck E. Cheese's and you can make money. They call them tickets. But you you make these, you make money and uh, the money is only good for Chuck E. Cheese's. So you can't make money playing these arcade games in Chuck E. Cheese's and then go out and spend it at McDonald's. Okay? You, you only use it in Chuck E. Cheese's. And so, we, you know, I'm, we made we made like a few hundred tickets and I was like, oh, man, we got a few hundred tickets. What can we get? And I was looking at this wall and everything was in like the thousand ticket price range. So we just got like a bouncy ball and some stickers or something. But I was thinking about that recently, you know, about how this is just like real life money. It's just that the time span is a little longer, but this is just exactly how it works. What we have in this life is a temporary currency. We we are born in this life. We we play these arcade games called jobs, and then we we make money, but we can't take it to the next life. We have to spend it here. The current the currency doesn't work in the kingdom of God. You know, there's this old joke. Uh, maybe you've heard of it, where like someone goes to heaven, and um, uh, he's like so proud of himself because he he made all this money here on earth. And Peter's at the door, and he's like, "Oh, what do you have in your bag?" And he's like, "Oh, this is all the." all the wealth that I gathered, it's gold. And he's like, more pavement? Because, you know, it's streets of gold. And so that's how, that's how, um, that's what's going to happen in, in the next life. You know, we're going to, we, all the things that we think we earned and developed and earned, I mean, we, we, we gained here on this life, it's, it's going to be worthless in the next life. It's non-transferable, right? So we have to spend it while we're here. And so I think that should put money in proper perspective. You know, like, uh, we don't need to spend all this time making all this money because one day it's going to be gone anyways, right? Anyways, let's keep going. How should we think about money? Well, there's a few principles, I think, in Ecclesiastes that are worth chewing on. Some, you know, uh, there's a lot, but I think there's two that jump out at me. And then each problem, I'm sorry, each of these principles responds directly to one of these two issues of money that we talked about. So earlier we talked about how money can be uh, unpredictable, and money can be non-transferable. So in that light, how should we think about money? All right, so here's the first one, which is diversify your investments. Now, this might sound a little bit strange to you. Like, are we in a finance class now? But let's keep reading, okay? Ecclesiastes 12, 1 through, uh, sorry, Ecclesiastes 11, 1 through 6. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let your hands not be idle. For you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well, so this is a lot of things to unpack here, but basically what the author is saying is, you remember how we talked about, you know, money is unpredictable, misfortunes can happen, disasters can happen, you don't know what's going to happen. This passage is saying that disaster will come. We don't understand the work of God. We don't understand how 
life works, how money works, how investments work 100%. So what should we do? Should we just do nothing? Should we just be paralyzed by the unpredictability of money that we don't invest in anything at all? You're saying, no, like, don't just like watch the wind or look at the clouds and just aimlessly sit around. Don't be idle. Um, he says, what you should do is work hard to try to discern what you should do. And then you just take some investment risks and take uh, some risks. You, you know, I'm going to invest in this and invest in that. We, because we do not know which will succeed, whether this or that. And, or whether both will do equally well. You know, sometimes people, uh, so this is sort of the other side of the coin. You know, sometimes people are overly uh, controlling of money and they think, you know, I can do whatever I want with money and everything's under my control. And earlier the author said, you don't actually know that. It's unpredictable. Disasters can happen. But here's the other extreme. is Some people, they're thinking, they have such a fatalistic, nihilistic perspective that they think, you know, I, why worth doing anything at all? I don't, you know, everything is going to, anything can happen. And he's saying, no, don't do that. You should actually seek to invest your money, make decisions to invest your money, do work, and don't be idle because you may actually get some money. Um, you know, verse one, literally in the Hebrew, literally says, cast your bread upon the waters. So some translations, they trans uh, translate that more literally. And most scholars, they believe this is sort of an ancient expression because, you know, a lot of people, they don't really know what that means. What does that mean? Like, I don't ever, the only time I cast bread upon the waters is when I'm feeding ducks. Okay, so but that's not what it's talking about. Most scholars, they think this is an ancient expression referring to merchant, ship, uh, merchant ships, you know, going off to trade in faraway places. Like, it's about, it's, it's advice to, you know, a ruler of some sort, send your merchant ships out far and wide, and you don't know if they'll be successful. You don't even know when they will come back, if they will come back, but maybe it will be successful return. So I think that's what the author is talking about. And he's saying, invest in multiple ventures. Don't put all your eggs in one basket, seven or eight ventures and diversify so that even if one or two or three don't work out, you still have others. And I think this is uh, just plain common sense, but I think this is, you know, there's, there's wisdom in this in that, you know, sometimes when we think about money, we, you know, we have a lot of these get rich quick kind of schemes and we put all of our time and energy into here's the one way, one thing I can do to make a lot of money. And I think what the author is saying is you just don't know what's going to work out. So if there are opportunities to build different skills here and there, opportunities to uh, get a side gig here and there or, you know, get a certificate or something, a credential here and there so that you can make more money to invest in this thing versus that thing, consider doing that. You know, don't, for example, put all of your money in Bitcoin, okay? Maybe there's other, you can do a bunch of different things, all right? So it's pretty practical, all right? Doesn't sound very Christian, but I think it's very practical advice. And it's, a lot of Ecclesiastes is just very practical advice, so I thought it was worth mentioning. Here's another, another one. It's a little more abstract, but also pretty important. You know, earlier we talked about how money is non-transferable. This, I think, is a direct uh, response to that, which is to accept your lot in life to accept your lot in life. And this comes from uh, sorry, Ecclesiastes 5, 18 to 20. This is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, to find satisfaction in the toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. 
So verse 19, I think it's pretty interesting because it's saying God doesn't just give us wealth and possessions. God also gives us uh, the ability to accept our lot and be happy in our toil. And I think that's the key. You know, a lot of times when people pray for blessings from God, they're just thinking about material blessings. I want this stuff. I want, you know, bling. You know, I want a house or a car or whatever. They want material blessings. But what God gives us is more than just that. God gives us the ability, and I think this is supernatural, the ability to accept our lot, to be content with what we have, to be happy in our toil. And I think that's what makes the difference. You know, earlier we talked about how money is non-transferable. And so it feels meaningless sometimes to work for it because we can't take it into the next life. And, um, but here's the thing, you know, just because um, I can't take my tickets from Chuck E. Cheese's into the next life doesn't mean I don't, I give up on working for tickets. I still try to get tickets in Chuck E. Cheese's. Why? Because there can be joy in the process of getting those tickets. And I think this is what this verse is getting at, is you can look at your job, at these ways to make money, with happiness, with satisfaction, with contentment. You can try to enjoy, just like a kid playing these arcade games, you can enjoy these arcade games, you can be happy playing these games, you can, you can view the whole process of playing these games as a gift. And the same goes for real life and work. I can look for satisfaction in my work. I can enjoy the process of making money. I can try to be happy in my job. I can view it all as a gift. You know, I think the word that summarizes this all is the word contentment, just to be content with your job. So you can think of it about it this way. Here's a graph I made. Okay, I was thinking, I love graphs, all right? So I make graphs all the time. Okay, the x-axis is the amount of money somebody might make. Oh, sorry, somebody uh, has, the amount of money somebody has. And then the y-axis is the amount of money somebody thinks they need. All right. So remember we said that, you know, some people who have uh, money, they never have enough. All right. So that's this red line. What they need is always bigger than what they have. All right. It doesn't matter. So if X is five and Y is six. Okay. Remember uh, the slope formula, right? Y equals MX plus B. B is the Y-intercepts. The, the B doesn't really matter. In this case, I just picked one, but you can substitute B with anything else. But anyways, you, you have whatever, whatever X is, Y is always bigger. That's the point, right? Whatever you have, what you think you need is always bigger, okay? And so what do we need? So a lot of people, what they think is, you know, well, I don't have enough money. What do I need to do? I need to make more money. But what they're doing is they're just moving along this red line. They're just moving up the red line. And so anytime they get more money, they always think they need more money. Okay, so, but what should we do? What we should do is to change our paradigm. We need to change our equation. So instead of staying on the red line, we move to the blue line, which is y equals x. And y equals x means the amount of money you have is exactly the amount of money you need. The amount of money you have is exactly the amount of money you need. And how can you know that? You only know that with the trust that God is in control and God loves you and God will provide. That's the only way you can shift to this blue line, this Y equals X line, is you recognize that what I have is exactly what God wants for me and God has provided. And therefore, I don't need to beat myself up and trying to get something else. I can be content. I can be content with what I have. What we need is what we have. We just simply accept our lot in life. The way we do that is by recognizing that God is in control. He will provide. The way we do that is by recognizing the gospel. Um, 
you know, the gospel is, isn't just that Jesus died for us and he rose again. That's part of the gospel. But another aspect of the gospel is that because Jesus went through this process, he has now secured for us an eternal inheritance, an eternal inheritance. This is First uh, Peter 1, 3 to 4. Check this out. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. I think this is the key. The reason why we don't need to cling to an earthly inheritance to spend all of our time and energy working ourselves to death so we get no sleep for an earthly inheritance is because we can trust that God has provided for us a heavenly, eternal inheritance. Our earthly currency is temporary. It's unpredictable. It's non-transferable. It won't last forever. But heaven is eternal. The currency of heaven lasts forever. And so we invest mainly not in the things of earth, but in the things of heaven, is it because it is those things that will outlast this life. Our inheritance will never perish, spoil, or fade. And even on this earth, even if the worst possible scenarios happen, even if we invest in seven or eight ventures or send our ships widely and all of them fail, if we're struck with misfortune or disaster, whatever the case may be, whatever happens to our temporary currency, we don't need to be afraid. To us, it's just like we lost our Chuck E. Cheese tickets. At the end of the day, it's okay. We don't need the Chuck E. Cheese tickets because those that system of currency it doesn't last forever. And so, even in this life, you know, uh, you know, sometimes VK and I we, we we go to these places where there's like sort of this uh, isolated currency systems, and then before we leave, like we don't really need this. You know, we can just whoever's walking into some random Joe Schmo, maybe we just give you this card. We, we don't need this card. And I think we can live just like that with the money here as well. We won't be able to leave this life with the money. And so we can leave it behind. We can be free to give it away. We can be free, free to, generous, be, to be generous because God has already guaranteed for us our heavenly possessions, our heavenly inheritance. The reason why we can move from that blue line of discontentment to the red line of contentment is because Jesus has guaranteed for us everything we already need. You know, earlier we talked about how a lot of people will feel pressure to make a lot of money. They just working all the time. They can't sleep. They just work themselves to death. I want to just end with this quote. This is from Victor Hugo in Les Miserables. Have courage for the great sorrows of life and patience for the small ones. And when you have laboriously accomplished your daily tasks, go to sleep in peace. God is awake. God is awake. I think this should be, you know, I think this is just worth chewing on for those of us who feel the need to work all the time, to, to grasp at any opportunity we have in order to get ahead in life, to sometimes even work ourselves to death. It's just to remind ourselves, sometimes we can afford to sleep. If there was no God, maybe we can't afford to sleep. All we have is this system of, you know, the strongest will survive. We just got to do whatever we can to get ahead and make a lot of money. But that's not the case. We have a God who's in control and he will provide. And he is always working. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. And because of that, we can sleep. We can rest. So let's live as if that is true. If the gospel is true, let's treat money the way we would if God is really at work, if God is really in our lives. 
if God has really given us a kingdom, an eternal inheritance. And because he is at work, we don't have to work ourselves to death. We can rest. He has given us an inheritance that lasts forever. So let's remember that. Let's pray together. The worship team will come back up and then uh, keep singing some songs. Father, we thank you so much for uh, the message of this gospel and how the things we really want in life, uh, the things that we truly yearn for, ironically, have been given to us for free. And the things that we actually don't need, the things that tell us we need them, but we actually, we actually don't need them. They're the things we often spend our lives yearning for, striving for, but they're always out of our reach. So I pray that you help us to understand that paradigm, to have this paradigm shift and to recognize we don't have to live the way the rest of the world works. We don't have to chase after the patterns of this world. We can just trust in the fact that you provide. You have all we need. And one day, you know, when we reach retirement, when we reach old age, it'll be okay. We don't have to be clinging on to all these things that are susceptible to moth and rust. We can give them away freely, just as you gave your son freely to us. Um, God, you know, some of us, you know, sometimes when we are so immersed in the conversations with our friends or what we see on me on social media or what we read about in magazines or on commercials, it can be, it can feel like we're falling behind. It can feel like we don't have what we need. It can feel like um, we can feel down about ourselves and a lot in life. Give us just this mind altering upside down perspective that we already have it all. We have you, and that is enough. That is more than enough. Our heavenly riches are far more than what we can ask for. So help us always remember that. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.